Hello everyone, welcome back to Chippy and Chill, the anime podcast. I'm your host Ryan and in this podcast it's all about anime and manga, talking about your favourite series, in-depth looks at characters, the history of anime and manga industries and a whole lot more, everything in between. If you can think about anime and manga, it's probably at some point or if it hasn't already, going to be a topic on the anime podcast. So in last week's episode, it was all about the sports genre of anime and the history of the genre as a whole and how that kind of led to hit series such as Haiku and Blue Lock. So it was super surprising in that episode to learn that the genre began way back in 1928, which is way earlier than what I would have ever have guessed. I always thought the sports genre of anime manga was much more current, much more modern, but I am pleasantly surprised every time I do an episode of this podcast. So if you've not listened to that episode yet, go check it out. It's available wherever you found this episode. So definitely go through the library, check it out. You won't miss out. So a few things before we dive into today's episode. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, check out the Apple exclusive weekly anime among the news podcast series I also do. It's called Chibi Peace Exclusive and you'll find the episodes in the same library that you found this one on Apple Podcasts. So new episodes release every Sunday and I discuss the top five news stories for anime and manga for the past seven days for the past week and some mini headlines, mini highlights and also a weekly anime recommendation for you to check out. If you've not already signed up, there's a free seven-day trial of the subscription and it's only $3.99 a month anyway, so it's much cheaper than Disney Plus, than Netflix, and it's every single week a brand new episode on Sunday to round up the weekend and get you ready in an anime mood for the next seven days. Go ahead, head over to Apple Podcasts if you're not listening on there already, check it out and subscribe. Anyway, let's dive into today's episode which is all about Howl's Moving Castle. So today's episode is all about Howl's Moving Castle by Studio Ghibli and it's 15 facts you didn't know about Howl's Moving Castle and this is one of my favourite Studio Ghibli films and I'm sure if you're listening to this it's one of yours as well and it's become one of the most popular pieces of work by the studio and one of the most famous pieces of animation especially in the cinema in the entire world. So Howl's Moving Castle is one of the most famous and most loved pieces of work done by Studio Ghibli and has become a staple favourite within the anime community and it's definitely one of my top three Studio Ghibli films. It's definitely up there with Spirited Away. I'm not entirely sure what the third place would be. I need to, maybe that's maybe that's a secret I can hold to the next episode. But the film was nominated for Academy Awards. It's won festival awards. It's won so much and it became a run-up a couple of times as well. And it's just wild. How's Moving Castle, if you're not aware? So let's have some some a few little facts. Let's go through the plot before we dive into the facts. So the How's Moving Castle is a 2004 Japanese animation film partly based on the 1989 book authored by British author Diana Wynne-Jones. And Hayao Miyazaki wrote and directed the film. So the plot of the story is that at her late... Father's hat shop, Sophie leads an ordinary life until she makes friends with the wizard Howl, who resides in a magical flying castle. However, the Wicked Witch of the Waste 
objects to her developing relationships and uses a spell on young Sophie to abruptly age her. To defeat the envious hag, not my words, the plot's words, and bring Sophie back to her previous youth and beauty, Howell must now use all of his magic skills. We'll dive into this a little bit later on as well, but Howell's Moving Castle, I think, is one of the most complex Shiro Ghibli films or anime pieces of work in general. It's so complex. The characters themselves are incredibly deep. But they're the themes that carry through the film, when you watch it a couple of times, you really start to pick up them really strongly about age and um, war and pacifism. And you start to see all of these really deep, meaningful themes start to tie through in the film. And we'll dive into some of those a little bit later on as well. But I think that's why it becomes one of my favourites, because of the... The really strong messaging that Miyazaki really put through in the story, and I guess what partly comes through from the book as well by Dinah Wynne Jones. So, fact number one is that Howl's Moving Castle, we've already mentioned this, but Howl's Moving Castle is based upon a novel by Dinah Wynne Jones, and it's the same name, but the book is also a part of a series with two of the books also featuring the characters Howl and Sophie in the other stories. So the two of the books in the series are, so it starts with Howl's Moving Castle, that's the very first book, and then it goes on to The Castle in the Air, which came out in 1990, and then The House of Many Ways, which came out in 2008. So Jones herself had no input in the production of Howl's Moving Castle, but she did say, and I quote, I write books, not films. It's likely to be very different, but that's as it should be. It will still be a fantastic film, end quote. So the film got a lot of um, support by Dinah Wynne-Jones, so that's great, I think it's great. You often see films come out and they get a lot of contention between the original author's book or the source artwork or the source pieces of work. You often hear the their disputes or, I mean, the Mary Poppins film famously was hated by, by the author before uh, when Disney took it over to do the live-action film of it, but... It's nice to see that this film was fully supported by Dinah Wynne-Jones and she was quite happy for it to be different. She was quite happy to have a slightly different lease on the book and on story, on the story of Howell and Sophie. Fact number two is that in the Japanese version of the film, Sophie's 18 or 19-year-old self and 90-year-old self have the same voice actor, but in the English version, production companies assigned different voice actors for the younger and older Sophie. The reason why Miyazaki insisted that the... I'm going to try and say her name, but I may butcher it. Chico Baisho? I'm sorry if I did. Did both roles. Was that in the movie, although her age changes, Sophie's thoughts don't. So Miyazaki reasoned that there was no way for the different actors could portray a, pers- portray a person whose appearance may change, but they're actually the same person with the same thoughts throughout the entire film. So he insisted that it's the same person that does both voices. In the English version, it is actually two different people. Our next fact is that when the film was released in Japan in 2004, it brought in a 1.48 billion yen in the box office revenue and was screened to a total audience of 1.1 million people in the first two days. So that's in two days this film released and had that kind of impact. This was a new record for Japanese film and even surpassed the previous record, previously set by Spirited Away by 40%. And that film obviously we all know, was also directed by Miyazaki. So he kind of beat his own record and completely smashed the box office records completely out of the water. 
which I think is always amazing to see when you see anime kind of hit these records and smash these goals that key films go for and you assume they're going to get. And even today, I get super surprised when an anime film hits these kind of records and numbers. Fact number four is that Miyazaki personally travelled to the UK a year before the release of Howl's Moving Castle to give a private viewing to Diana Jones, the author of the book, before the English version of Howl's Moving Castle was released. So she got to see the film a whole year before the rest of the world did. And I think that's a lovely show of respect for the author of the book, to for Miyazaki to go and show, this is what I made with your story as a source artwork, what do you think? And I think that's, that shows something about the character of Miyazaki. It's really, really nice. Fact number five is that Christian Bale was one of those who was immediately blown away with the artistry and level of detail and the work in general of Spirited Away and with the British actor agreeing to play literally any role in the movie for Howl's Moving Castle, though he would obviously ultimately become one of the lead roles and he became Howl in the end. I think that's really cool when actors see the piece of work by directors and they agree to just play any role because they just want to be involved in some capacity, whether it's a small role or a leading role. I think it's nice when they get so intertwined with the director and their creation that they're like, look, I'll just do any role as long as I'm included. So our next fact was that in the movie, Sophie has no magical powers. She's just kind of a regular, no regular girl that works in a hat shop. Unlike Howell and The Witch of the Waste, which have immense power. But this gives her a unique place in the story and as despite being affected by magic around her, by the characters around her, she's unable to respond with any magic of her own. However, in the book, that is quite different. So in the book, Sophie has her own powerful magical abilities and in the novel, Sophie is the one... Uh, spoiler if you haven't finished the book, I guess. In the novel, Sophie is the one who defeats the Witch of the Waste along with her own fire demon. So not Calcifer, her own fire demon. So that's interesting. I can't, This kind of twist makes me want to read the book. I'm not sure if I will, but I do like the idea of Sophie gaining powers and getting her own fire demon. I want to know what the fire demon is and where that comes from. I want to know if it's come from Calcifer or where does he come from or they come from. I do want to know. If you've read the book, find me on social media and let me know. I, I would like to know. So earlier on, I mentioned about some of the themes that come through in the film. And one of the big differences between the original work and the movie is that the war theme was added to Howl's Moving Castle and it wasn't in the original book. So influenced by Miyazaki's opposition to the United States invasion of Iraq in 2003, the film contains really strong anti-war themes. And Miyazaki stated that he, quote, had a great deal of rage, unquote, about the Iraq war, which led him to make a film which he felt would be poorly received in the United States, which is a really strange move to kind of take, but interesting. And war is often one of those themes which we see within the works made by Studio Ghibli. Quite often we see these themes of war and anti-war and things like that come about quite often. A lot of these films were made around a similar kind of time. A lot of the projects they did, they worked on in tandem, with alongside other films, so you start to see similar themes kind of flow throughout the Studio Ghibli library of work, and Miyazaki was quite honest and verbal about the fact that he does not agree that the country is going to war, and he doesn't see, you know, he's just against it. I mean, who isn't against war at this point? I mean, (laughs) you know, no one wants war. So fact number eight is that after reading the book, Miyazaki was curious about how the castle would move, and decided on chicken legs. 
because that's the next... That's where you go, I guess. That's where his head goes. So the choice was between chicken legs or medieval foot soldiers, but he went with chicken legs. So Miyazaki was intrigued by the castle and struggled with the design of it. So he went through and consulted with Toshio Suzuki, which was the producer at the time. And as they talked, he drew in cannons, roofs, chimneys, and all these which were included in the final castle in the film. I haven't read the book, so I wonder at what point. Maybe Diane didn't actually kind of reference how the castle moves. It just does in the book. And maybe that was a bit of a, a hole that Miyazaki tried to kind of really fill out because if he's going to show it on film, he needs to be visual enough to see it. And why not chicken legs because it's Ghibli and would you expect anything less than a castle moving with chicken legs? Probably not. Fact number nine is that in the novel, Sophie actually has two sisters. So the second is named Martha, who is sent to be a witch's apprentice, but finds a spell to change her appearance and switch with Letty, don't know who that is, I forgot who that is, so that she can work in the bakery instead. So when Sophie goes to see Letty at the beginning of the film, I've completely forgot who Letty is. I'm about to rewatch it to find out who Letty is again. It should have actually been Martha in disguise. So that kind of moment is in the film, but portrayed slightly differently. We see Sophie go instead of Martha, her sister. So Martha is also the character that Markle falls in love with in the book. In the film, Martha is mentioned by the shop girls saying that Howell ate Martha's heart, but not presented as Sophie's sister. So we don't really know the connection there unless you know this book beforehand. So that's interesting that they referenced it, but in a slightly different way. Our next fact is that in 2013, Miyazaki said Howl's Moving Castle was his favourite creation, explaining, and I quote, I want to convey the message that life is worth living, and I don't think that's changed. The film is significantly thematically different from the novel, and we've mentioned that a few times, it is different, the story's slightly changed. While the novel focuses on challenging class and gender and war, the film focuses more on the romantic side of personal loyalty and destructive effects of war and love overall. And those themes do come through in the animation, I do think, but not potentially as strong as they do in the book. So following on from that similar kind of theme is that Miyazaki, in our next fact, Miyazaki stated that an attractive aspect of the story in the book of Howl's Moving Castle was the positive light it shed on growing old. So when Sophie becomes old a result, as a result of the witch's spell, she also feels more able to speak her mind. According to Miyazaki, old women are only infrequently shown or allowed to dominate the screen, as in Howl's Moving Castle, which made it a risky concept, which we see that in cinema, that totally does make sense. And Elizabeth Parsons stated that the film disrupts the stereotype of aged unattractiveness, quote-unquote. When the artist artificially aged Sophie manages to rescue two attractive men who come to love her in the end and to unintentionally end the war in her country. And I think that is one of the things that, especially with today's society, with social media and with this obsession with staying young forever, it's really important that films like How's Moving Castle are around. It adds a sort of grace and beauty in the fact of growing old and the fact that we are still the same people, we have the same thoughts, we have the same personalities, whether we're young or old, and a lot of the time, films don't portray that, and I think that's what makes Howl's Moving Castle one of the most beautiful Studio Ghibli pieces of work, 
or most beautiful piece of film ever. It's so nice to see how they showcase the concept of aging. So fact number 12, and we see this in quite a lot of Miyazaki's films, is like other films that he's done, How's Moving Castle reflects his love for flying and flying machines and aircraft or inventive design, and these all appear in the film. So Howl's frequently transformed into a bird. Miyazaki examines flight as a theme most directly in the later film, The Wind Rises. That's where it's really prominent, and we start to see this love of flight in that film. But Miyazaki stated that he wanted he was attracted to military aircraft as a child, but that he grew to detest them because of the destructive purpose for which they were created, which is, again, a very deep thought for a child, but great, we love that. Though, so Howl's Moon Castle contains images of both aircraft shown as harmless and beautiful and large military aircraft depicted as ugly and destructive. So he's starting to convey these different visual cues and messages to the audience of these can be really beautiful objects that fly or they can be these destructive weapons. So following on with the castle and the flying theme, so the complex castle, the Howl's Moving Castle I guess, changes and rearranges itself several times throughout the movie in response to Howl's eccentricity and the various situations that they find them in. So the basic structure of the castle consists of no more than 80 elements, or more than 80 elements should I say, including turrets, a wagging tongue, cogwheels, chicken legs, we mentioned earlier, and they were all rendered as digital objects. So I guess they were able to swap and change them around as the castle moved as they saw fit. Okay, so our last two facts for this episode. So fact 14 was the film was produced digitally, but the original backgrounds were drawn by hand and painted prior to being digitised. So the characters were also drawn by hand prior to scanning them into the computer and 1,400 story cuts for the film were completed on 16th of January 2004. And they had a mix of digital and I guess an overlap of processes to make sure that it didn't look artificial and they still had this hand-drawn style that Ghibli is known for and it works it doesn't look look overly digital to me it looks great as does every studio Ghibli film and our last fact is that fact 15 is in the scene where Sophie and the witch of the waste ascend the long staircase in the royal palace Sophie was originally intended to stop and hold out her hand to the witch however after this scene was assigned to master animator Shinji Otsaka Miyazaki doubled its length and left the details up to him. The result is the memorable scene where the two compete as they desperately struggle up the stairs. So he just had free reign with that scene and it became so dramatic and intense. So that was 15 facts all about Howl's Moving Castle. If you knew some of them, amazing, awesome. I did not know basically any of these apart from the when the movie came out. <laughs> when I started watching this or researching this and... Howl's Moon Castle has become one of the most top, top rated and favourite Ghibli films of all time for not only the anime community but also for the animation industry around the world and if you're thinking of starting to explore films made by Studio Ghibli and you haven't watched Howl's Moving Castle, maybe this was a little bit of a teaser of what the story is about, definitely go and check it, it should definitely be on your watch list, even like tonight, watch it tonight, you know if you've got an hour and a half, an hour and 50 minutes free, go check it out. I hope you've enjoyed exploring the world and the background of Howl's Moon Castle a little bit more with me and I hope you've learned something. I definitely have. I love these films so I really enjoy going through these kind of fact-based uh, podcast episodes with you and kind of sharing different knowledge about the details behind the works that Miyazaki and Ghibli produced. 
and its themes and characters. So thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. If you're a mega fan of anime, then why not check out my brand new Patreon monthly subscription club. There are three tiers of membership, Chibi Fan, Chibi Super Fan and Chibi Mega Fan, with each tier being better than the last. Each month, for one cost, you'll receive free prints, free downloads and much, much more, including exclusive behind-the-scenes videos, photos and more of how I create my prints and anime-themed artwork. If you'd like to receive exclusive updates and anime-themed goodies every single month delivered straight to you, then why not check out my Patreon? The link's down below. I'm sure you'll love being a part of the Chibi Weeb fan club. Sometimes finding a birthday card or an occasion card can be a boring task. However, I have some anime-themed cards on my thoughtful.co.uk creator profile, which is found in my links on social media. Over on Thoughtful, you'll find a bunch of anime-themed cards such as Studio Ghibli Happy Birthday cards and more with my range being updated regularly. Each card is processed by thoughtful.co.uk with shipping being fast, quick and efficient. You can shop my anime themed cards over on my Instagram with my links being over on there. Search Chibiweeb Anime and you'll find me. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast. It really does mean a lot. Please do leave a rating and a review down below. It really does support the show and it's free to do. I'll see you next time. I'll see you next Friday. Have a great weekend. If you're a subscriber or if you're thinking of subscribing or starting the free trial on Apple Podcasts, I'll see you on Sunday for the next episode of the Chibi Peace exclusive Apple Podcast exclusive episode on Sunday. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.